Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Uswee here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Today, we're talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, and of course, the king himself, LeBron James. Joining me today are AC. What's up, guys? And two guests. We have Eric. Yes, sir. And Mus. Yo. So the reason we want to have these particular guests for this episode are Eric and Mus are two guys who are Lakers fans. They're also huge LeBron fans. So Mus was actually the first person I ever knew who was just really into LeBron James. I'm talking like even before his rookie season, he was so hyped about this guy. He had his jersey. He was playing him in 2K. And he was just like, you know, this guy's going to be the next best thing. And I was like, all right, dude, like he hasn't come in the league yet. And well, he was right. And Eric, someone who I met in college, he was a guy who back in the day, we'd have these arguments and I was arguing for Kobe Bryant. He was arguing for LeBron. And, you know, we had these back and forth. And by doing that, he kind of made me a LeBron fan, which I had not really been to. the. I mean, I had respected LeBron, but it's kind of through him that I became a LeBron fan. So welcome, guys, to the pod. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. So I think a, a good place for us to start then would be yesterday's game between your Lakers and Oswee's Sixers. Now, that was billed as the best in the West versus the best in the East, and also a battle of MVP candidates in, in Joel Embiid and LeBron James. So what did you guys think of how the game went yesterday? Joel Embiid is one of the three players not named LeBron that I want to see succeed. So I've loved how dominant he's been, even in last night's game. Against both Gasol and AD, they couldn't stop him. He was just absolutely dominant. And speaking on the Lakers, they didn't seem very locked in for such a marquee game. And their play absolutely showed it. But somehow in the last few minutes, they were able to turn it on. I think thanks to Caruso, KCP, and Schroeder just knocking down threes in clutch moments. I mean, that really just boils down to what Runga always talks about. Execution is what sets apart great teams from good teams. As you said, Mus, the Lakers really didn't seem locked in. They're missing shots and and they're just fouling way too many times. But at the end of the game, like champions, they rallied together and the Sixers continued to have poor execution down the stretch like always. As a Sixers fan, it was a good morale win, especially for someone like Tobias, who's having an all-star season. But really what it showed me was that the Sixers need to make a move for Bradley Beal. The other day, Daryl Morey said to Stephen A. Smith, it's championship or bust. Well, yesterday, while it was nice to see Ben being aggressive, at the end of the game, it's so easy to scheme against him, especially in a playoff series. It's so easy to scheme against him because he can't really contribute much on offense. So it's basically 4v5, as I've been saying. But that being said, I'll take the win. And as always, it's a pleasure to watch my guy LeBron playing. Absolutely. They definitely struggled towards the end because of what you said, the 4v5. And the Lakers kind of figured out how to play defense as they do throughout the games. They tend to struggle in the first couple quarters, but they slowly figure out how to play and come and turn it on. Yeah, just to piggyback on what Moss was saying, I think Embiid he was absolutely fantastic. He's showing why, at this moment, I look at him as being in a pole position for MVP. I mean, he's on the top team in the East. 
and he looks like all around the best player, at least in the Eastern Conference. But this win for the Sixers actually, (laughs) oddly enough, told me more about them than it told me about the Lakers. There's no chance that a team with Tobias Harris as their second best player, or at least their second option offensively, in crutch time, can expect to win anything. And, of course, he hit the game-winning shot last night, but (laughs) it's untenable for them to rely on Tobias Harris to be their second offensive option. On a championship team, he will make a great, or at least a very good, third option. But second option, no chance. And it should be Ben Simmons, but as it was stated before, the man can't shoot out of outside of five feet. So in crunch time, he becomes easily schemable against, and he essentially takes himself out of games. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think it's kind of interesting how a team with so much talent on paper, it just they always seem to fall apart at the end of games, right? This is something that goes back to Brett Brown. That last four minutes where the Sixers were up by 14 points and squandered that whole lead and actually found themselves down, you know, with a few seconds left to go before Tobias Harris bailed them out, it just showed how easy they are to scheme against. And I thought the Lakers in that game kind of had everything go wrong. Like, they were just fumbling passes out of bounds. They were committing ridiculous fouls. They were... Ice cold from three. Basically, all the role players pretty much played badly. AD didn't even play that well. And only the last few minutes, they actually put their best lineup in with AD at the five, LeBron, and then, you know, three guards. And they went on this run, and, you know, you kind of saw the full force of the Lakers could be, but you also saw the Sixers' limitations in which the Lakers played off of uh, Ben Simmons, and they kind of made everyone else beat them. And I, I just think that with the talent as good as Joel Embiid, that, to me, like this game showed that Joel Embiid is that good of a player, that caliber of player who could literally toast AD in the post, take Gasol in the post. Some of that little talent deserves a guard comparable to his level of skill, and there just isn't one on the team right now. Oh, no. I, I mean, <laughs> AC pretty much crystallized everything. Uh, <laughs> it would have been nice for them to get Harden, but, I mean, as a consolation prize, Bill would be fantastic. He can create shots. He can act as a pick-and-pop guy. He can do a little bit of playmaking. He would be perfect. He plays decent defense, if not great defense. And he spaces the floor, of course. I, I mean, they need someone else. They definitely need someone else. And also, I mean, right now, it seems like Embiid is acting as an offensive and defensive hub. But... In the playoffs where, of course, the rotation shortened, people are playing more minutes. This is a person who historically has had conditioning issues. You don't want to put the burden in the postseason that he is carrying at the moment and shorter minutes. But, of course, in the playoffs, the minutes will increase. Look, man, Oswe Drama said it before. A dark horse candidate for MVPs, Joel Embiid. So, I don't know. I feel like I might be right about this one too. That being said, the Lakers, I think, are the best team in the NBA. And they weren't even trying in that game. And they were down to the wire against the quote-unquote best team in the East. So as a Lakers fan, Moss, you must be feeling pretty great, right? Absolutely. Though I do wish we came out with the win. 
it would also be nice to see a bit more effort in the beginning of the games, but overall, it's been good so far this season. I mean, part of that must is kind of to be expected, right? You guys are coming off a championship, and then usually the year after championship, teams tend to really go slowly. Like you look at the 2001 Lakers, the team that really struggled with the whole regular season, Shaq was totally out of shape, and then come playoffs, they, you know, they crushed the whole NBA, if not for Allen Iverson's crazy 50-point game, they would have basically swept the entire playoffs. So that's kind of expected from a team coming back. And then you throw in the short offseason. If anything, I've been more surprised at how competent they've been so far, right? So, like, for instance, they have the best defense in the NBA by efficiency. I mean, that level of effort and night-to-night consistency is not something I expected coming to this season. I definitely didn't expect it. And at least to my knowledge, in the last 25 years, the only two teams I can think of that have come out after a championship and have run roughshod or, you know, gangbusters over the league, that Warriors team that won 73 uh, wins a couple of years back, of course. They had that 24-game winning streak to start the season. And the Heat team in 2013 that won how many straight games at a point? 27 27 straight, 27 straight before that ridiculous loss that they had against I think it was like the Bulls or something where uh yeah exactly yeah. so I mean this this isn't normative and also I mean their season ended two months before their season began yep yeah for sure there, there there's no historical precedent for this yeah, and the the fact that they've lost so many players and gained so many new players, they're still learning how to play with each other. They don't know who's going to be helping on the drives, and they're slowly picking that stuff up. But these players aren't known for their defense, which makes this the best defense in the NBA really surprising. So let, let's start talking about some of these players, right? Because, I mean, I, I think we all can agree that they haven't really turned it on, maybe only in spurts. They seem to be experimenting with different lineups. But the players themselves, a lot of them have come into the season, and either most of them I feel like have played above expectations with a few exceptions we should talk about. But let's start with LeBron James. That's your guy. I mean, all of us here are, are some degree of LeBron fans. But Eric and Musk, you guys are two of the biggest LeBron fans I know. I mean, he's clearly having MVP caliber seasons. What do you guys think of LeBron in year 18? Let's start with Eric. Yeah, I mean, this is rarefied air. There's LeBron, Kareem, and Carl Malone at this point. Those other two players, uh, Malone and Jabbar, have anything close to what LeBron is doing. But then when you add the fact that LeBron, at this point in his career, we know he's the best player in the league. And he initiates his team's offense. He's the table setter. There's no precedent for this. But one thing I I think I was saying to you the other night, AC, that I found to be very interesting as some type of almost like dichotomy with LeBron. He's the best player in the league, but at the same time, he somehow gained the system where he's literally exerting the the least energy. And there was some stat that said as far as mileage on the court, During the year, LeBron, who generally, outside of this year, plays about 36 minutes a game, he's giving the least amount of floor mileage compared to any other player, which I just found to be a fantastic odd stat just to 
elucidate how he's extending his career and remaining great at this point. Yeah, it, it's remarkable, right? I remember there was years ago, Windorse an article about how LeBron just does all these little things to avoid exertion on himself. So like, you'll notice when his own team is taking a free throw, LeBron is already on the other side of the court. He actually walks the other side of the court. So he doesn't have to run back from, because presumably his team will make two free throws instead of like going for the offensive rebound. He's already the first guy back. So little things like that, he'll find opportunities to walk instead of run. This season, he's taken to another whole level because he's actually playing very well in terms of his own defensive effort. He's actually playing pretty good defense, which is what's so interesting about it. But he's still found a way to minimize the amount of exertion that he has on a nightly basis, which just shows that he's really mastered the sport. Absolutely. His change in his game from where he started as a uh, slasher and power finisher, he obviously can't keep doing that as he gets up on in the years. So first in uh, Miami, he brought up a post-game learning with Hakeem, and then now he's stretched it out to the three-point line and beyond. He's logo LeBron now. And that <laughs> that just makes it, it just makes it even more difficult to to stop him. And it was already pretty pretty difficult task to begin with. Yeah, I mean, watching LeBron yesterday was so interesting because, like uh, Eric mentioned, he somehow unlocked his full arsenal without needing to completely exert himself. And man, he's averaging a career high in three point attempted and three point percentage. He's hitting pull-up threes out of the pick-and-roll. He's hitting step-back iso threes, logo threes. Logo LeBron should really be a thing now. His feet work are somehow even more polished this year to where he's even more deadly on the block. I mean, I really part of this is the roster construction because the offense can now scheme him open rather than him having to do it himself or others open. You can throw Dennis Schroeder, give him the ball, or even facilitate through Anthony Davis. And, and LeBron just is out there so much more free than I feel he's ever been. And look at it. He's playing at an all-time level at age 36. Facts. Definitely facts. I was thinking the other day, and this is not an idea that's unique to me. I, I think Simmons touched on it in his book, Basketball. But most great players, you see a few different iterations or transformations of their game over their career. I feel like most great players, you usually see three versions of them. You see the young version, the prime version, the decline version, where you're the crafty veteran who has figured out all of the intricacies and nuances of the game. It seems like with LeBron, at this point, I'm like on my fifth version of him. I never thought I would see a LeBron that became an elite floor spacer at high volume. I didn't think that was going to happen. But inevitably, somehow, in a shortened season, or at least a shortened offseason, he's now an elite floor spacer, which just boggles my mind. Well, I want to kind of go with what you said there. I'm trying to think of the various stages of LeBron's career, right? So we have the early, the Cleveland era slash LeBron. And, and pe when people say that LeBron hasn't lost a step, they need to watch videos of LeBron back then because this man could literally fly. Fly. I mean, you're talking about, yeah, he, he has free throw line dunks effortlessly. And I'm not joking about that. Look it up. Like, it's crazy. In game. In game, yeah. So that's the first version of him, right? And then... I guess second phase would then be like LeBron post 2008 Olympics. He starts to engage more defensively, offensively. His game kind of comes together. He's still mostly a slasher. 
Now, what would you say? Third phase was post collapse against yeah, the Mavs. Po- post collapse against the Mavs, 2012-2013. He develops a post game. So you know he works with Hakeem that off season, which I mean he he did a little bit with him, but for whatever it is, whether it was the optics and actually doing it, he had a developed post game when he came back, and we see that realized infamously against the Celtics when they're down in the last two games. I always thought that it'd be really funny because here's a guy who literally just spent, you know, I don't even know if it was an entire day with Hakeem and all of a sudden he has a post game. And he also, around that time, he actually had a really good mid-range jump shot. I remember there was a year where he was only behind Dirk in terms of his mid-range jumper. And yeah, he used it to kill Boston. And then, you know, he even did hit 40% one of those years, but it was more like, Eric Spolter told him to stop taking all those bad three-pointers, step-back threes, things like that, which now we think are good three-pointers. Back then, we thought were bad. So he, he shot 40%, but he was never a good three-point shooter, right? And then what's the next phase is like late Cleveland part two, early LA again, where he's kind of just mastered using like his strength to get to the rim. He's a little bit slower, just kind of master the game. He's not even quite as good a shooter as he used to be, but it just seems to really understand everything. And then, like, over the last couple of years, he's become a better shooter. I think now he really is a legitimate setback shooter, isolation shooter. I mean, he's got the full package now from a shooting perspective. And his fadeaway game has now reached another level where it's consistent. I mean, remember against Toronto in that famous Lebronto series, he, he killed him with it. But now it's like he shoots it, like, from the cor- deep corners and consistently throughout the game. Uh, it, it's insane. Yeah, we saw him do it the other night against uh, Cleveland when when on the switch, the center, Allen, Jared Allen, he came and tried to block it. And LeBron's fading away, going out of bounds. And he makes this ridiculous shot over Jared Allen, who's a legit seven-footer. It's like, come on, dude. If he's making that, you're not stopping him. And he's a great facilitator now. He can be a elite point guard at any given time. We saw that last year. So, yeah, the man evolves a lot. One thing that hasn't changed is his IQ in the game and his passing. From the beginning, he's always had that passing ability, and he still does. And his assists per game show it. And, and must. Must the thing with his passing is he sees ahead of the play, right? Like there are guys who can pass because the defense collapses on them, right? So like I always thought guys like Kobe, guys like Jordan, they were really good at making those passes, right? Like they they beat the defense and then as the defense collapses on them, they could swing the ball to whoever was open and, and they were good at that. But then there are the guys who can see the play ahead of where it's developing, where they'll make a few dribbles. They're not even paying attention to the guy in front of them. They're paying attention to the help and they're creating open shots. And I always thought... If you could think of one thing from LeBron that's really his signature ability, it's not even the dunking or anything else. It's his ability to throw that cross-court bullet pass right into the shooter's pocket for a three-pointer. That will be the thing that separates him for all time, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, he's he's so in tune with the players that he plays with. He knows exactly where they want it, how they go up with it, to get them in exactly where they need to be to make those shots. And it's it's uncanny how amazing he's been with all those cross-court passes. Even when he goes up into the air, and most people say passing while in the air is a no-no, but he manages to do it and do it consistently well. And it's it's amazing. 
And you know? part of that is his ability to see over the defense. I mean, that's something that he had magic. And a few guys, have, you know, Luke has that now where they can just pass right over. So the jump pass is a lot less deadly when you can actually literally just pass the ball over the person you're jumping. In it, front it's, of. it's funny because, AC, you can attest to this. I've long said that one of my least favorite passes is a jump pass. And LeBron has basically thrown that out. Still, though, I have to say, if I see like Ben or a Sixer doing a jump pass, I definitely get a little tensed up because I just feel like typically it doesn't work out well. One thing I do want to mention about LeBron, AC, you mentioned that LeBron used to bully his way down in the post and whenever he was driving. But if you look at his feet work now, he doesn't even need to bully people because he's so precise in in his movements that he could just get around people or because he's taller and because he he knows how to create that space he doesn't need to bully people as much as he used to he, it's it's all pure technique now i like the feet work shack reference <laughs> I, I, I did enjoy that well let's go from lebron who i think we can all agree has maybe exceeded our expectations in, in year 18 to someone who i personally feel like has been a bit disappointing this year and that's anthony davis Guys, what, what the hell is going on with him, right? Because, like, I mean, the first few games of this season, he didn't even have a single block shot. And then, of course, he had this somewhat infamous rant where he got upset about the team's defense and he threw a cooler. And then he actually has been pretty dominant on defense, to his credit. But his offense just hasn't been there this year. And it really feels like he's coasting even more than I expect him to. And this guy, you know, he's not like he's 35. <laughs> he's like in the middle of his prime. What's going on there? I mean, so <laughs> let, we need to take into account prior to coming to the Lakers, Anthony Davis was a player who had a myriad of injuries. And it seemed as if injuries followed him. I have no problem with a guy with his injury history taking it chill if you were playing two months before the start of your current season but that's me i was worried this might happen watching him in the bubble playoffs his mid-range game was unstoppable he was hitting fadeaway jumpers it was unbelievable but it didn't seem like that was sustainable and i think it's finally catching up to him and he's really starting to struggle to score from the post to your point moss his actual numbers as a jump shooter prior to the bubble weren't all that impressive. He, you know, he's pretty much an average or even a below average three-point shooter and his mid-range jump shot was you know, kind of neither here nor there. And then he just went on this ridiculous hot streak where he was and it lasted him throughout the playoffs and to the finals, so give him credit. And now those same shots just aren't falling for him. And I personally wish that he would spend a little bit more time at the five and as a role man. And I understand Eric's point is definitely true that you know, part of it's this injury preservation to make sure that, you know, he isn't taking unnecessary wear and tear. But he's just, in my opinion, possibly the best pick and roll finisher in the history of the NBA because of his ability to catch. And he's so long and catch a lob. He's athletic. He can finish. So just if you use more that way as opposed to just like ISOing and taking fadeaways, he'd be far more effective in my opinion. I think they're trying to keep that for end games and come playoff time. You can't always go to a Anthony Davis, LeBron James pick and roll because eventually people are going to scheme around it and start to see enough tape on it to kind of get an idea of what you want to do against it. But I do think that come come the playoffs and come, come crunch time, 
you're going to see AD at the five and him running the pick and roll with LeBron a lot. Honestly, I'm not that worried about Anthony Davis. Look, there's a bunch of new players on the team. A new system is in place. Once the cogs are in place and the system is set in the playoffs, he's going to dominate. Big players rise to big occasions. And, and like Eric said, you know, this is a guy with an injury history. Right now, he's able to rest more with Gasol and Harrell using good minutes. Do we really want to see Anthony Davis gunning for Defensive Player of the Year or even MVP when he's just coming off two months rest from playing at our finals MVP level? Honestly, for the sake of the game, I'm okay with Anthony Davis playing the way he is because I have no doubt in my mind that when the big dance comes, he'll be ready. So, Oswe, you mentioned Gasol and Harrell, so I want to get into some of the new additions. Let's start with uh, Mark Gasol. Mus, you're our resident expert on big men being our group's big man when we play basketball. So what have you seen for Mark Gasol so far? So compared to last year's bigs, Dwight and JaVale, he's a complete polar opposite. He's not that go up and get it shot blocker, but he's very, very good at getting into position to stop you from making the moves that you want to. That's on defense though, but his offense, my God, the offensive IQ that he has to see the plays before they happen, much like LeBron and making the passes that he makes for a big, it's unbelievable. It's elite passing. I think <laughs> Gasol is a fantastic passer, and I, I definitely like what he brings brings to the Lakers. But at times, I feel he can be, dare I say it, too unselfish. I've seen <laughs> like so many times this year where he's open from the top of the key, and he just has to make the extra pass. And I'm like, dude, just shoot the ball. Yeah, he can definitely be a bit too unselfish, especially considering he has the ability to stretch it out, as we've seen in Toronto, to stretch it out to the three-point line. But i got to admit, he's been he's been playing really well for us so far. One of the cool th- coolest things about having Gasol on the team is just I've never seen LeBron be able to cut and get this many easy looks before. I mean, it seems like he's really enjoying it. Like you saw in the previous game against the Sixers, Ben Simmons overplaying him. And he just back cut him. And Mark Gasol just attempts passes that, you know, a lot of guys wouldn't even think about even trying. And so that's been really cool. I think defensively, Lakers fans are looking at Mark Gasol and maybe wondering why he's not providing the shot blocking they got last year. But I agree with Musk that positionally, he's just in the right place at the right time. Now, there are certain matchups he's not going to be able to play against. When it was a real stretch five out there, he's just too slow to sort of contest and get out there. But I've been... Pleasantly surprised at his ability to do a lot of little things defensively. I mean, it's obviously be good in a drop scheme, but he's actually been pretty good at hedging and recovering as well. So unless you have like a dead eye five at the three point line, I, I think Mark is pretty useful. And I think yesterday you saw his value against someone like Embiid, even though Embiid scored on him, you could still put Gasol and Embiid one on one. He has a history of playing Embiid pretty decently well, so you don't have to double. I think uh, he raised the ceiling of the whole team. Yeah, I completely agree, though I would like to see a more anchorish 
center if they can somehow pull that off in the buyout market. Come buyout you time. greedy Lakers fans. <laughs> I mean, how many much more talent can you, you can't even fit? You have an 11 man rotation right now. You can't even get guys minutes and you want another guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I got spoiled with uh, JaVale and Dwight. Huh? <laughs> Give me more. So what about Harold, guys? What have you seen from him so far? Because I know uh, that's the other big that they've acquired. I mean, <laughs> he's good offensively in spurts, which was expected. He can score. I mean, I, I just I don't see a way against elite teams in the playoffs to give him a lot of minutes at the five. I just I can't see it. Yeah, I agree. He's a great offensive option to come off the bench, but he really struggles against the big fives like Embiid, like Jokic. You know, they they give him a lot of troubles. He doesn't have the the weight or the height to really deal with those kind of guys. It's like a paradox with him defensively. So he's not he's not fast enough to guard stretch guys on a perimeter, but he's also not strong enough to guard strong guys in a post. So he definitely has a very obvious ceiling defensively. Let me ask you something then. Given his low defensive ceiling, do you feel like he'll get minutes in, I don't know, a late playoff push or even the finals? I don't see it. I think it would come down to matchups. And Vogel is the type of coach that would make the matchup changes to see if, oh, they don't have a big five that can pound it down low and they have more of a stretch five that Harold can show on picks. He might get a lot more minutes in those kind of situations. That's fair. Definitely going to be situational. But I don't know, like, the teams in the West, so you're going to expect at some point Jokic to be there. I mean, even if they were to face the Clippers, can he guard Zubok? <laughs> I, I just, of course, if you face the Sixers in the finals. No way is he playing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, I mean, I, I just don't see against teams that are elite, him being able to see many minutes on the floor when you get further in the playoffs. Now, the first and second round, I can see some matchups where, I mean, they essentially have guys who are just placeholders as big men, but. I, I just don't see it when you get deeper into the playoffs. The one good thing is the Lakers have Anthony Davis, and he is the cheat code on defense. You have the ability to guard smalls, and when you need him to, he will guard the fives, and he'll do an incredibly good job. So it takes the onus off of Trez to have to guard those big fives, which is a luxury that he didn't have on the Clippers. So I, I agree with you guys that he's more of an innings eater than a guy to really use in a high leverage playoff matchup, but I'm a little bit higher on him than you guys are defensively. I think a lot of his problems are simply because when he's on the floor with someone like AD, AD right now is not guarding fives unless it's the end of a game. So they're putting him in the position where he has to guard, but Harrell is covering these fives that AD really should be covering. You saw that yesterday. AD and Harold were in the game together and Harold was guarding Embiid, which makes no sense, right? But I think, again, it's part of preserving AD, which in that way, Harold is valuable. But I also think this season, Vogels use him in other ways and I'm happy in the way that he's shown his effectiveness. So at times been asked to guard fours or fives in non-drop schemes. 
And he's been really good when he's been asked to trap or to hedge and recover because the one thing he does have is speed. Yes, not enough speed to guard a wing, but enough speed to show and then recover and get in someone's way. He's actually amongst the league leaders in charges drawn this season because he's able to beat his opponents to the spot. And the other thing is offensively, I think it's been interesting. Vogels actually used him quite a bit as an isolation post-up player, which is something that I didn't think that he had in his game. And he's been really good at it. Frankly, his pick and roll effectiveness, which is what made him kind of the player that he is, hasn't been that great this season, in part because he just doesn't have any chemistry with Dennis Schroeder. And I think Dennis can get a lot better in that than he's been so far. Part of it is also AD missing all these shots, is letting people kind of sink away from him. But I, I think, you know, his best asset is as a role man, and, and they're not really using that way. They're almost using him exclusively as an isolation post-up guy or as just like a clean-up, stand-in-the-dunker spot, get-offensive rebounds guy. And he's been good in that role, right? Ultimately, he's, he's there to just help them get through a regular season, get through the dog days of regular season, and get to a point eventually where down the road they don't need him as much. He's, and, and as Musk said, Vogel has proven that he's willing to reduce someone's role if necessary. And he did that with JaVel McGee, who started all season, and then after the Portland series, he didn't play at all. With Dwight, he used him some series, didn't use him other series. I think the same thing will happen to Harrell. He's going to use him when he needs to. He's going to take him out of the rotation otherwise. But I, I think he's shown that he can actually be useful in some schemes where maybe, the, maybe Gasol would just be too slow to play in. So overall, I think it's been a really good addition for them. I feel like the real story when we're talking about the new guys for this team has to be Dennis Schroeder because he gives LeBron the opportunity to not have to bring up the ball. You know, LeBron can play off him. He's a dog on defense. I mean, even Frank Vogel said, quote, he sets the tone for the whole group when it comes to defense because he picks up guards full court. This year, he has 19 steals which is only second to Anthony Davis's 22. So I, I think Dennis Schroeder's addition could not be more perfect for this new Lakers team, in my opinion. What do you guys think? Dennis Schroeder was a great pickup. Like you said, of course, he minimizes the tread on LeBron. So that's great. And in, in theory, I think as he gets acclimated to the players around him, one of the things AC was mentioning before was, of course... <laughs> His chemistry with Harrell, which should be good on paper, is not quite there. And at some point it will. But as he acclimates, get used to being the starter, which, of course, we also have to remember, he hasn't been a primary starter. Even when he was with the Hawks, he was off and on as a starter. Of course, when he played in OKC, he wasn't the starter. He hasn't been a starter. So this is the first time that he's fully the starter. So at some point, when things start to click, he's going to be a fantastic addition. I felt like he's definitely added something to the team. He's given them an element of speed that they just didn't have before. He's someone who can blow by even elite perimeter defenders like Ben Simmons or Tybo or Danny Green. You saw that over and over again in yesterday's game where he just got by them, get right to the rim. He puts pressure on the rim, which gives him another guy besides LeBron to do it off the dribble. And I, I think he, he's really invaluable in his ability to just give LeBron a bit of a break. But his defense has been honestly kind of remarkable this season. He actually slinks around screens. He puts great ball pressure he competes against guys much bigger than him. He's surprisingly long, even though he's short. I do think his lack of size will be picked on by teams with really good big wings like the Clippers, or if it comes down to it, like a team like the Nets in playoff situations. But 
He's given a lot on that end. I think there are things that he can work on. He's actually a, a poor passer. I, I don't I don't mean he's an unwilling passer. I mean that his accuracy on his passes is really bad, especially when he's in the middle of driving. You'll often see where he makes the right read, but it it goes to the guy at their feet or it goes to them like oh, like very high or or to the wrong direction. So, you know, the little things like that he can work on. Sometimes he plays a little bit too quick. But yeah, I, I do think it's an adjustment for him to be starting for the first time. I think that the Lakers should keep keep starting him because one, that starting five unit with him, Marcus Gasol, AD, LeBron, and KCP is, is fantastic. But two, just give him the reps because you're going to need him throughout the playoffs. I don't think this is a guy that you can afford to bench. I, I think this is a guy who's going to play a role even against the best teams. Yeah, he's brought a defensive hustle that I had not seen him have in any of his uh, previous stints. He's constantly running and running on defense, and it's it's been great to see. But I think he, on offense, has struggled with choosing when to attack and when to pass it on the attack. It's a weird stat, but in the wins, he's only averaging 12 points per game, but in the losses, he's averaging 17. So I feel like he might be taking it to the rack a bit too often but not scoring efficiently enough when he can just pass it out and get better looks but I think that'll come with time and it's really good that he's starting because he's getting a lot of reps with all the players well that's actually a really interesting point I, I I wonder if it's really the first time in his career that he's had two guys who are just flat out better than him and so like and when you're a point guard Part of your job is to distribute the ball accordingly. And yes, LeBron is really the de facto point guard, but Schroeder does make a lot of decisions, at least at this stage. Maybe that'll change in the playoffs. And maybe it's an adjustment for him to realize that LeBron needs to eat here and AD needs to get a certain amount of possessions. So maybe that'll come with more reps as well. Yeah, I certainly hope so. He seems to still have the same mentality that he did in OKC, where he's not really looking for anybody to pass to, but just using his ungodly speed and just running in and getting decent looks. But with a team like the Lakers, those aren't the best shots that you can be taking. And he's got to kind of come to grips with that and pick and choose when he's taking those shots and where the the best shot is instead of taking a decent shot. What do you guys thought about Wes Matthews so far? He's definitely struggled to be super productive in his minutes. Hopefully that will come with more more reps, but it doesn't seem like he's being able to break the rotation that Frank Vogel has. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers have one of those good types of problems. They have guys like Caruso fighting for minutes. So Wes isn't getting a lot of minutes, and he's used to being in a situation where he's getting quite a bit. It's going to be an adjustment curve, but I'm not too worried about him. Like He should be, in shortened minutes, a pretty valuable 3 and D guy. So. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I wonder part of his struggle is in part because this is the first time probably in his career that he is spending most of his time on the bench. If not, actually, he's not started one game this season for the Lakers. So it must be an adjustment just like being used to a certain amount of minutes and now you're coming off the bench. But let's actually focus now, guys, on three players who had a huge role to play last year, but all three have somehow on this extremely short offseason come back Significantly improved players, in my opinion. That's Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Alex Caruso. And I don't know which one you guys want to talk about, but let's kind of handle them all in one shot here. So what do you guys think about them? Uh, well, so they, they're they all 
is is interesting. They're all better for different reasons. Like Kuzma at some point became a very decent defender. And if I had looked back at him three years ago, that was never my projection. It would be that, oh, he's going to be a guy who's going to be averaging in the low 20s. He's not going to be doing much else, but he's going to be a guy who can get you buckets efficiently. And he's not going to be that good of a defender because he's a tweener. But somehow he's a versatile defender, which is strange. Caruso, I mean, he's better everywhere. He's getting to a point where he's an elite help defender and a very good man-to-man defender. And he can give you some type of playmaking. And somehow he's an elite floor spacer. And, of course, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who at the beginning of last season, we were writing him off. And Lakers fans, of course, were saying, what do you all think we can get on the market for Contavious Caldwell-Pope? Or, see, this is the problem that we have clutch sports because they were able to get him a re-up contract. Well, he started the year shooting almost 60% from three with volume. So, I mean, the Lakers legitimately have good types of problems because you have guys like Caruso, of course, and Kuzma that are fighting for minutes. It's crazy. I feel like they're not really fighting for minutes more than Vogel is giving the minutes to other people because he knows what he has with Kuzma and Caruso. He knows what they do from their play from last season. And they've only improved on their current minutes. Like, I don't know if they can keep their incredible shooting from three. Can they keep it going? It's been like unbelievably good but they're all comfortable in their roles and when they come onto the court they bring an energy that lifts the rest of the team you see that especially with caruso and his amazing energy on defense which turns into offense you know you mentioned three-point shooting did you know in yesterday's game my girl doris and mike breen were talking about how apparently This season, Alex Caruso has the highest three-point percentage in the league, but the problem is he doesn't get that many minutes. Maybe Vogel is just trying to feel it out, but I think overall, it's a very clear reason why these guys have improved so much. It's that championship boost. When you win a championship, players just play that much better. They have that confidence. They have experienced the most difficult thing that basketball has to offer, and they typically grow from it. And being around LeBron, who... The day after winning a championship is back in the gym. I'm sure that's had a massive impact on these guys. Yeah, I think you're right, Oswe. Definitely. I think Muss's point is pretty interesting that Vogel probably does know that when push comes to shove, he's going to run with these three guys. None of whom are even breaking 30 minutes a game. Caruso barely ever even breaks 20 minutes in a game. So I think he knows that. I think he's giving the new guys the opportunity to see what they have. But when push comes to shove, He's going to go with his guys. And you see that because he already is closing games with Caruso and, and KCP on the court. Kuzma probably deserves to close some of these games instead of Schroeder. But I think Schroeder, they probably want to get some reps with Schroeder and, and the rest of the crew just so they see what they have there. But just to speak with each of these three guys a little bit, KCP, what I love about him, I, I thought all last season he was their third best player. But what he brings to the table isn't just his shooting. He just plays so damn hard. 
Like this guy is one of the fastest players in the NBA without the ball. And that means he's always a threat to leak out on fast breaks. And he brings a, a tempo to the game that is, is really useful. On top of that, he's one of the best guys in the NBA at lock and trailing, which means, you know, just following shooters around screens. He's amazing off the ball like that. He's a bit slight on the ball. So like bigger wings can give him trouble. But if you want to chase around a shooter, he's like one of the best in the league at it. So I think he's an elite 3 and D player. Kyle Kuzma, his shot has improved a little bit. He's gone from 32% to about 38%. But I think it's not his offense so much, but I I love that he's really found a way to make an impact. Not just as a defender, as Eric was saying, which is kind of remarkable given where he was, but also as a rebounder. He's particularly a fantastic offensive rebounder, one of the best on the entire Lakers. He'll fly in from the three-point line and and just kind of grab rebounds and keep positions alive. You know, he's enough size that he's at least useful defensively. And the other thing is his passing has gotten better where he'll, instead of just always taking the shot, he'll try to find guys when you know, when he's cutting. And he's always been good at moving off the ball, which makes him a great person to put with a guy like LeBron or Marc Gasol because they'll, they'll find him when he's cutting. And, and Caruso, man, I mean, he's just... You can make a legitimate argument that Caruso is one of the best role players in the whole NBA because he's elite off the ball. He's awesome on the ball. He's got a ton of energy. He's, he can see the floor well. He's unselfish. He hits threes now at a league leading clip, which is not going to last, but you know it's cool to see anyway. If I'm a Lakers fan, I'd be worried that they might not be able to retain him in this offseason because at some point you think this guy would want a bigger role than what he has. Yeah, I I don't see... If it remains this way where he's getting the minutes that he gets, I I don't see what incentive he has to remain with the Lakers after this year. He has a championship. At least at this point, I think, all things considered, if there are no major injuries, he will have another championship after this year. He's good enough, if he's getting the right amount of minutes, to be a valuable player on a winning team as far as I'm talking about playing more than 25 minutes a game. He's that good. So if they're going to keep playing on how they're playing them now, I, I don't see what incentive he would have, at least financially, to continue doing this because at some point, not getting the requisite minutes, it will, of course, hamper his potential future earnings. So we've discussed nine Laker players, and we haven't even talked about Markeith Morris, who's very much part of the rotation, and also Taylor Tucker, who, who is actually a pretty promising player, but can't even get on the court. So that's 11 legitimate NBA players the Lakers have, which brings us to the difficult question. So let's say you guys are Frank Vogel. It's a playoff series. It's coming to not crunch time. What is your ideal Lakers closing five? LeBron... AD, Caruso, KCP. And right now, for me, it would probably be Wes Matthews because I want defenders on the perimeter. And I I still don't trust right now Dennis Schroeder's shot. But I'm sure it will be Dennis Schroeder instead. Yeah, I would have to go with Braun, AD, Caruso, KCP. And depending on who's out there on the opposing team, it would be between Schroeder and Kuz. Depending on if they have a smaller guy, somebody like Schroeder would be much better to have. But if it's 
a little bit of a bigger guy, I'd probably want Kuz to to be able to step out and guard him. They both offer similar offensive abilities and ability to score, even though it's in different ways. But they also have the ability to defend well enough that they, I think, can close for the Lakers. I think for me, it's an easy Braun, AD, Caruso, Kentavious, Colwell, Pope, and... Uh, I feel like I agree with Moss. It's very situational who the fifth is. Kuzma, I trust more on defense, but Schroeder, I just like the idea of having LeBron being more flexible and you can run more interesting schemes with Schroeder in the lineup than you can with Kuzma. And I don't see any case where you throw in like Montrezl Harrell there. So yeah, I guess I'd go with Schroeder as my fifth. Well, I want to say really briefly why I don't think Trez should close. It actually has nothing to do with defense because if AD is guarding the five, I think that's good enough. It's it's actually offense because you really want AD at the five offensively so that he's the guy rolling to the rim at the end of games and so that LeBron has as much space to attack as possible. So I agree. I mean, this season in the fourth quarters, they seem so... Like, they're playing with one hand tied in the back when they have Trez. And just like that last year when they had McGee or Dwight in. And it's not because of those guys have limitations so much as that it is because AD is just so much better at the five. So as long as Aegis is the five, LeBron's is the four, you can really put any of the other three wing players and I think it'd be all right. But if I had to pick, I think KCP and Caruso have just, they've been the third and fourth best players for the Lakers for last season. They seem to be again this season, which I know sounds weird on a team with so much talent, but they are. And I think the last guy is completely matchup dependent, as you guys said, between either Schroeder or Kuzma. I actually like the Wes Matthews pick a lot as well because he can theoretically guard bigger wings, but actually can shoot better. Um, But I don't think he's played well enough right now, but maybe by the end of the season, he will be in that mix. But that does bring me then, guys, to our last question for the night, which is this. You guys are LeBron fans, first and foremost, and you're Lakers fans as well. You have the opportunity this season as Lakers LeBron fans for LeBron to win his fifth championship would be a back-to-back as well. And also for the Lakers to surpass the Celtics and be the winningest franchise of all time. And it can happen all this season. Who, though, as Lakers fans, are you the most afraid of facing in a playoff series? Other than the Sixers, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, it would be the Clippers. And I'm not exactly afraid of the Clippers. So why the Clippers? Why the Clippers? I mean, theoretically... With Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you have guys who can generate offense, can pass, and they play elite defense. I mean, Kawhi's defense hasn't been Kawhi's defense for the last two years, but in theory... Yeah, nobody's talking about that, but you're absolutely right. He's quietly like not been quite the same defender for a couple of years. And if you're looking very closely, it's very obvious. I mean, we saw this when Luka Doncic was eating him alive yep. in the postseason last year. It's it's obvious if you look. But in theory, they have the wing defenders to throw people at bodies at LeBron consistently. I mean, I still don't exactly know, just like I said last year, I don't know who really can defend AD. I guess you have Serge who can give them – I guess, in theory, like to make them work at least. But yeah, in, in theory, the only team I'm afraid of is the Clippers, but I'm not afraid of any team. If I were a betting man and I were putting money up, I would be willing to put a lot of money up that the Lakers, without any significant injuries, win another championship. Well, you are a betting man, so as I know you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to make something clear. Two things were established today. Logo LeBron and Kyle Kuzma Kawhi Stopper. <laughs> yeah. It is written. It is written. <laughs> it's written. It is. It is <laughs> decided. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our Lakers and LeBron discussion. I just want to thank Eric and Mus for joining us today. Your input as fans of the Lakers and LeBron really were a joy to listen to. And I hope that you guys join us again sometime. Certainly when LeBron makes his case for MVP that much greater, we'll have to bring you guys back on the show. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you in the next one. Take care, guys. Peace out. Peace out.